Welcome to The Real Photo Show. My guest today is Rick Schatzberg. Rick and I talk about his book, The Boys, published by Powerhouse. It is a beautifully laid out book that is a combination of archival images and portraits made by Rick. And it reminisces about the lives of 14 men who are now all in their 60s, but who all grew up as friends on Long Island, including Rick. And the project started when two of those men died within a year of each other. And so there is this processing of grief that runs throughout the book in a way in which you look back, but also very much an embrace of who these men are today. So Rick Schatzberg is a photographer living and making work in Brooklyn, New York, and Norfolk, Connecticut. He received his MFA in photography from the University of Hartford in 2018. Rick holds a degree from Columbia University in anthropology, played French horn with Cecil Taylor's Jazz Ensemble in the 1970s, and was a business executive and entrepreneur in the New York metropolitan area for many years. In 2015, he completed a one-year certificate program at the International Center of Photography, and in that same year, his first monograph, 22 North, was awarded first prize at Australia's Ballarat Photo International Biennale. His second monograph, The Boys, was published in 2020 by Powerhouse Books. And we will talk about the idea of this sort of later in life, second, third, fourth career in this episode as well. And I find it very inspiring. All right. So Real Photo Show is sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club. This month's book was On the Night That We Leave by Alyssa Resnick. And I will be posting a video preview of that beautiful book uh, very soon on the Instagram account. And then... Next month's book, March's book, is Keep an Eye Shut by Haneo, and I'll post a a video preview of that as well. Uh, Also, coming up this week at the JKC Gallery is a show co-curated by the great Ryan Casey and I called The Road Home, and it is uh, quite a collection of artists who have either documented or experienced some form of displacement through migration, either forced or by necessity. And that show opens this Tuesday, uh, which would be March 1st, with a reception on March 2nd. Visit jkcgallery.online for more details. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show, and we will talk soon. Thanks for uh, for joining me. Well, thanks for inviting me. Your book, The Boys, uh, when did that come out? The book came out uh, December 15th, 2020. Okay. So, uh, and that was published by Powerhouse Books? Yes. Yeah, that's great. Congratulations. Thanks very much. Yeah. yeah and, I, you know, I was looking at your bio and I see that you, you actually attended Columbia University and received an anthropology degree uh, back in the late 70s, right? Yeah, almost ancient history. <laughs> but then you would uh, end up back there again for the what was called the Summer Intensive Program. Yeah, I ended up back at Columbia twice uh, as an adult. Um, mm. In the early, in the early 2000s, I took a non-matriculating uh, continuing ed courses, graduate courses in history and political science. I did that for about a year and a half, two years. And then... Um, a number of years later, I was in Tom Roma's summer intensive program. Um, Kai, Kai uh, was there. Kai McBride. Yep. 
Yeah, and Yola was there. And oh, Yola Menakov, Stockton, yes. Yes, yep. yes. Oh, I yeah. Know, I got to know Yola very well. Yeah, yeah. And 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 there are a lot of thank yous in the book, and I can see you you met a, a lot of great people there. Yeah. Yeah, I did. No, I've had I've had the uh, good fortune to work with a lot of great photographers. Right. I and I can see looking at this book, which of course we're gonna we'll talk about is I can see the influence of the ideas of anthropology in the book. I don't know if you you've thought about that. Yeah, I, I don't know that I you know, I, I saw a straight line between no, no. <laughs> that, but but sure, there's a lot, you know, that you absorb over the years. And then when you do a somewhat introspective book, then a lot of that's going to uh, come together. Right. Absolutely. You know, the, the book is called The Boys. There's a, a great essay by Rick Moody. And there are sections of the book where is it you are you the one writing the the introductions to each section? Yeah, I I did. Those are my essays throughout the book. So that's that's you, your connection to these friends, your memories of these friends, right? And and your experiences that you're writing in the book, right? So it's um, you know, it's it's about the present moment, but of course, I think and write a, a lot and share old photos from. Uh, during the course of our whole relationship, yep. which was which is over sixty years now. Yeah, so it's, it's a very interestingly laid out book with archival images, snapshot images, and then all of these fold uh, foldouts where there's your portraiture, uh, sometimes portraiture mixed with other kinds of photos as well that you've made. Uh, so it's it's really. And the reason why I brought up anthropology and all is when I'm looking through the book, I feel like I'm exploring. I feel like I'm exploring a, a small kind of uh, um, cohort of humanity, right? In a way. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. So give me some background on, on this book and, and the project and, and these friends of yours. Well, I can give you a background in a, from a couple of different directions. One is that I was uh, attending Hartford Art School, uh, their MFA program. And I knew I would be making a book in my second year. It's one of the uh, features of that program that for your thesis project, you have to produce a maquette at least, as well as exhibition prints and a written thesis and, and, and all of that. So I had been thinking about finding um, a subject that I really wanted to make a, a book about. The first year of the program, you were encouraged to really just experiment. Mm -hmm. use different cameras, just shoot in ways that you're not accustomed to, that sort of thing. By your second year, you really need to drill down into something. And it's not all that much time to make a to make a, a book. So no, right. <laughs> I been just exploring different ideas in my mind. And while I was um, uh, actually at, a, at one of the program's residencies in in um, Berlin, I got a call from a friend to say one of our friends just died. And um, it was nine months uh, after another friend from this group of friends, this, this group that I've known really since early childhood. And um, in the plane coming home, I started thinking about the need to photograph all of us. I, I had started using a large format camera. I was exploring portraiture for the first time and I thought that I would talk to my friends about my just making pictures of us while we were still a dozen of us to, to do that. 
And then in the course of talking to them about it, you know, days later, it started to occur to me that this would actually be an interesting project to to pursue more deeply and to make into a, a book. Is this so about I, 2015, 16? No, it's a little this? bit later. It's, uh, I guess, 2017. Okay. Yeah, I graduated Hartford in 2018. So this would have been 2017. And um, I, I didn't know at that point um, what the elements would be of the book. I didn't know if I would write for it. I didn't know that about using archival photos. I just had the idea of doing uh, large format portraits. And then it developed from there. I mean, there was a lot of trial and error in a sense in terms of um, the type of portraits I would make, the elements in the book I would include. You know, one of the things about doing something like this while you're in art school is that you get endless feedback, too much feedback, really. <laughs> um, it's hard to... <laughs> Yeah, well, it's hard to put it all in the right context and decide uh, what's being provocative for the sake of being provocative, what's really being helpful. And so I had a lot to sort out. But eventually I came to the conclusion that I really should use old photographs to give a sense of the history mm -hmm. and that I wanted to write. I like to write and I wanted to write to just to sort of get the interiority, you know, what was going, what's going on in my head, you know, which photographs don't, don't really do that. They do other things very well, but they <laughs> don't really tell you about the person or what they're thinking. And I thought that for the, the nature of this book and what I was trying to accomplish, that that element was going to be important as well. Right. You know, you mentioned earlier, uh, one of your friends had passed away. That's when you really started thinking about creating this memoir in a way, right? Yeah, and, exactly. And is it fair to say that most of the the uh, archival photos, most of the, the the snapshot photos are are when you are all uh, quite a bit younger? Like what's the, yeah. what's the span of time of those photos? They go from um, the 70s, and there's a bunch from the 70s when mm -hmm. we were teenagers, till um, even to the early, there's a few, a couple that are even from the early 2000s. Oh, okay. Um, Right. Um, but most of them are really back from the 70s and maybe 80s. Right. And then the the portraits that are within the folds, right? When you when you when you open up the pages, they are fairly contemporary, right? 2017, 18, 19, 2017 and 18, yeah. Okay. Uh it's I think it's all of them. They're all shirtless, right? In the portraits. Um, most of them. Most There's of them. Some, okay. Uh, there are a couple. Um, I have a couple of portraits of guys in their bathrobes. Oh yes, that's um, right. <laughs> and then, and then I think there's uh, well, one definitely, maybe maybe more than one, where you know, fully fully clothed. Right. You know? But so, what's really interesting is that as you're going through the book, you see these these very youthful photographs, candid photographs, the kind of photographs you imagine that you would make with your friends in their you know, moments of sort of really like living, right? Traveling, hanging out, you know, all those kinds of things. And then you, you stop, you open up the page, and then there's this much older person shirtless. And it, it feels like there's an emphasis on, on vulnerability, on life moving, on, you know, aging, becoming a bit more frail in some ways, but just showing that, that age, right? Really exposing it. Was that part of the idea of those portraits? Yeah, all, all of those things. And I would say, in addition, maybe a, a certain sense of defiance as well. Mm -hmm. um, that, um, 
you know, people are very well aware of how they look, how they present. And it's it's a little bit of I don't care. Yeah, uh, this is that's true. This is me. So the vulnerability, though, is is real. Uh, but so is that defiance. Right. No, you're right, because the, the way you make the portraits, it's very full on looking right at you for the most part. And uh, I mean, there's, there's also a, there was an attempt to make the viewer a little uncomfortable, mm-hmm. um, you know, not extremely so there's, you know, it's not no, sensational. Not at all. But, but you're sort of um, stuck <laughs> with this guy, you know, there's no, there's no distractions, you know, there's no, it's not, right. they're not environmental portraits. It's just a blank wall and, and a shirtless, um, 60 something year old. And I thought that being isolated as a viewer with that subject, I thought might have an interesting, uh, effect on the viewer. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, this is very much a book that is, a reflection of also who you are and the stage of life you're in, right? This idea yeah. of having experienced a, a death of a friend, thinking about this passage of time and that fact that you're still in contact and friends with all of these these boys, uh, once boys from Long Island. We didn't mention that Long Island, right? Right. And then there's, there's just an incredible uh, reflection. And I don't know if this is what you think about it but as i'm looking through it because i'm in my 50s i was a teenager on long island in the 80s there's a kind of sadness to the idea that we are both remembered very well by our friends but also somewhat anonymous in the world you know you look at this and you you're exploring in you know photographically and and through some storytelling the lives of these people but they're they're anonymous they're not anonymous to me they're unknown to me very well known to you. And there's this kind of, boy, life is just this big fleeting journey, right? It's, uh, it's, it's right. you know, and that, I think that's where there's this uh, both kind of beautiful nature to the fact that they're so, you're all so well known to each other, but also sad that, you know, it's, it's all just part of this giant motion in life. Yeah. I mean, I do, and it is in part, a product of my age, but also maybe my temperament. Mm. I think a lot about the impermanence of things, Mm -hmm. of your community, your family, your everything, and uh, your profession, you know, however you identify yourself. And so here's this thing that did manage to uh, last quite some time, many decades, uh, this, these relationships. Yeah. But it is, it is impermanent, and um, I, I just felt this is sort of a document of a document of this. Absolutely, you know, you have some great blurbs from Alex Soth, Richard Rinaldi, Eleanor Carucci, Mary Fry, and Neil Irvin Painter. Mary Fry sums up the book in uh, sort of a, a logistically in a beautiful way: part memoir, part meditation, part photo book. The boys weaves together memories, snapshots, correspondent, and recent portraiture to tenderly create a narrative about enduring friendships and what it means to be human. And you also have this beautiful uh, essay, which in the book is a, a separate, almost like zine, a little pamphlet mounted to the in the pocket of a back of a book, almost like a, a library card kind of pocket, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> and I wanted to to read something he wrote about this idea that we were talking about, the kind of being known and not being known at the the same time, it also sums up Long Island really well. (laughs) And I really identify with it. 
While alluding to the mundane origins of the 70s images, it's likewise worth noting that the boys themselves are not dramatic or singular in their youthful appearances here. As Schatzberg is quick to point out, the boys comes from nowhere, by which the author means somewhere of cultural significance, a middle-class redoubt of stability and sameness on Long Island, a place of homogeneity and reasonable ambition, but the sameness, the post-war desire for being part of an undramatic sequence of life events, is a fabulous starting point for the project. Having grown up myself in the same period not so far away, I have seen these photos from the 70s, with like moods in the desk drawers and yellowed albums of my own family and friends. And I really identify with that as well. Long Island can be very homogeneous depending on your community, uh, right. especially 70s and 80s. And there is this... Um, kind of sameness that happens, right? With a, a group of friends in the same community. But this idea of, you know, in some ways being uh, not unremarkable, but just Long Island middle-class cultural insignificance is, is fascinating to me because I feel like that can happen in this sort of middle-class suburbia uh, where everything just kind of blends together. And I think this is someone who, you know, yourself having this other life, this life in science, this life in arts, this life in music, and and reflecting back on this this world you grew up in and then remarking on it, right? Creating this this memoir that that says, no, here, look, this wasn't this wasn't unremarkable. Does that make sense? It does. You know, it was a I guess I would call it a featureless environment. Mm-hmm. In, in, and um and yet somehow people, you know, are interesting in and of themselves, even if um, not remarkable, as Rick Moody um, right. <laughs> comments. But still, you know, in this case, forge bonds that last uh, surprisingly long. Mm-hmm. And um, so, um, you know, just trying to comment on things that maybe are not usually commented on. Yeah, I think that's what the the push and pull of the book is, and and you know what I was going back to what I was what I was saying earlier about this idea of there's a a life lived and an influence on who everyone is because of each other, right? And it's it's significant. That's humanity. That's life, right? But it's it's such a small scale. It's a great way to to look at humanity, right? It's this concentration. Well, I think you know I, at some point in the process of making the work. I realized that I was really making a book about mortality and vulnerability and impermanence and that I was going to do that through the lens of friendship. So there, I know many projects, uh, some books and some not that are about aging. And uh, I thought that what, what I had to say that might be different or just particular to my point of view was doing it through this lens of, of of friendship. Right. And Richard Rinaldi wrote, we enter the boys through a suburban backyard gate, but within moments, Rick Schatzberg positions his viewer front and center towards the meaning of life and friendship, right? So it's this small scale meant to represent a a much larger scale. And Eleanor Crucci also notes that as well, the, the idea of this this mysterious friendship of men, right? And what happens, the complexity of growing older, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Eleanor, you know, told me a number of times she found it interesting because she 
sometimes just doesn't get right men. <laughs> and then this, was, this, this, this intrigued her. And I, I love that, you know, I absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, uh, uh, really nicely done. And, and congratulations uh, on the book. Uh, is it out everywhere for sale? Did you have any yeah, problems? You, yeah. know, it, you know, Amazon, of course, uh, sells it. And um, I think as far as smaller bookshops, you, you know, it wouldn't be on their shelves necessarily. You'd have to order it. And, and Powerhouse, sold, of course, right? Powerhouse, yeah. of course. And Amazon, of course, you know, sort of mysteriously finds ways to discount things. <laughs> they in, certainly such do. That nobody else can compete. <laughs> uh, at first, they discounted it by 50%. Oh, and, boy. Um, it's strange. I mean, it's nice that, you know, customers can get, you know, we're able to get it inexpensively, but the specialty photo book shops uh, can't afford. To yeah. And, and so this is this is this is what I, I like to say. If you if you need the discount, if you know if, if that's if that's how you get books, then certainly do it that way. If if you're okay and you can afford to support uh, a more private or specialty bookstore or your local bookstore, please do. Yeah, that's the way. I, that's exactly the way I feel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so why don't we back up a little bit and talk about how you got interested in photography coming out of anthropology? Sure. Well, I I always had a an interest, I'd say, from high school in in photography, but I never pursued it uh, seriously. I went from a, a serious pursuit of music. I thought, uh, certainly in my teens and twenties, that I would have a career in music. And when that didn't really pan out for me, I got involved in business, and photography sort of fell by the wayside in terms of being a practitioner. Although um, later, I actually married a photographer, a freelance <laughs> photographer, and we began to um, buy photographs from time to time. I mean, it's very modest in terms of you know what collectors mm-hmm. do, but it's something that we have done through the years. We've been married a long time, and every once in a while for a, an anniversary present or a birthday present, we would you know get a photograph together. <laughs> um, so I just sort of maintained my interest that way, but it I had a whole whole career in business and it wasn't until towards the, what turned out to be the the end of that, I started getting involved in photography, strangely enough, first through just my cell phone and and it quickly escalated. Uh, The cameras got bigger and more complicated (laughs) and um, I started taking classes at ICP Mm -hmm. and from just a couple of random classes, I enrolled in one of their full-time programs. Um, where I was exposed to a lot. I mean, it was a very, that was a very eye-opening experience because up until then, I guess I thought about photography in a very mid 20th century way, you know, Cartier-Bresson and just, just, you know, your sort of standard. The classics. Um, <laughs> the, class, the classics. And I suddenly realized, uh, you know, how um, evolved <laughs> an art form it had be, become. Uh, then I went to, Columbia and Tom Roma opened my eyes even further in a couple of ways. One was about the photo book. He talked, I mean, he showed, he put prints up on the wall all the time, mm-hmm. Helen Levitt prints and all, all sorts of great prints, but right. he also really got us thinking about uh, photo books and why that um, is so interesting. And then, I, then I went back to a full-time program at ICP um, which I sort of look at as my BFA. I mean, I learned to be comfortable in the black and white and color dark rooms, mm. to um, have my work critiqued, which was a new experience. 
for uh-huh. me to do a real project, which I started at Columbia, but continued at, at ICP. Any notable um, mentors and, and people who inspired you from ICP? Sure. Um, well, uh, Darren Mickey was uh, a photographer that taught and I actually TA'd for eventually. Mm. Uh, Jen Davis mm-hmm. was very important. I would say those two are the sort of the most influential for me there. And then I, after ICP, I, I didn't really plan to go back to school. I thought I had enough school. And I was, <laughs> but I was now starting to work on projects on my own with film for the first time. And um, I don't know, after about a year, I thought that um, the things I was trying, that I was starting to do photographically, I'd really benefit from more feedback and encouragement or critiques or, or, or whatever. And that's when I decided to apply to Hartford. It was the only uh, grad school I applied to because I was attracted to their program itself. And if I didn't get in, I'm not sure I would have pursued an MFA elsewhere. I, I may have, but I, mm-hmm. I don't know if I... Who was running Hartford then? Well, it's... Hartford is... It was create The program there was created and still run by uh, Robert Lyons. Mm-hmm. And he has, um, there's a couple of full-time professors there, Michael Vernwald. Uh, Mary Fry was there, but she's retired now. Oh, okay. Jörg Kohlberg, who's not there any longer, but he was for the first, I think, 10 years or so. And then the program is, there's a lot of things about the program that are sort of ingenious. But, and, but one of them, I guess in the same vein as something like, of a place like Yale, is the guest reviewers and lecturers. Mm-hmm. So Alex Oath is there every year and um, uh, Lisa Carezzi and uh, Drew Donovan. There are residencies in Berlin. And so we're uh, spending time with uh, the curator, Tom Thomas Weske and the photographer Uta Mahler, who, you know, may not be uh, household names here, mm-hmm. but their work is, you know, spectacular. <laughs> and um, so it was really, again, uh, another eye opener to see, you know, first of all, be, to see beyond just America right? and see what was going on in Europe. And Well, just to bring that up, you, you self-published a book called 22 North, which won first prize at Australia's Ballarat Photo International Biennale. What was that book about and what was what's that Biennale like? So that it's sort of interesting. It's different approach to the book because I wasn't really thinking about a monograph in the same way when I when I did that. I had started a project at Columbia, as I mentioned, and I continued it at ICP. And I was I, I had been somewhat familiar with this Route 22. We used to my wife and I would take it to go visit our son in Burlington, Vermont. Uh-huh. And it, it it took us a good ways there uh, through upstate New York before you crossed over into Vermont. And it was a really intriguing road. And I started to um, just do a little bit of research and discovered that it went from the Bronx to Canada. Oh, wow. And I thought it would be fun to just uh, explore it, learn the history and to travel up and down. You know, there was some of the classic road trip you yes, know, idea absolutely. about it, <laughs> but also it was close enough where I could keep going back and revisiting certain places. Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time in, in the North country uh, when I was at ICP and I couldn't go away for long periods of time. I would spend a lot of time going back and forth to Mount Vernon, which was accessible. And I, I started to 
think of Route 22 almost like a river where the headwaters were in Canada and it, <laughs> the delta was in the Bronx. Sure, and, and absolutely. I, but when it came to making a book, I really did that because uh, by the end of the ICP program, you meet with a lot of people in the industry and they come in to see your work and to, to make recommendations or to maybe hire you for a magazine or something. And I thought that a book would be a good way of showing off what I've been doing rather than just a, a portfolio. Of course, I had a portfolio as well. So I made a blurb book and um, I just sequenced it pretty simply uh, traveling from South geographically right <laughs> yeah so it's it's not very sophisticated as far as books go in, in that sense i mean i like uh, a lot of the individual pictures mm -hmm. but it, it's not it's it's not very complex in terms of it's more of a portfolio sequence. style book than something sense, like yes. something like the boys which is a very much a, a book of exploration that in, involves the the reader and the the viewer and the everybody else right exactly exactly yeah after you studied anthropology, did you actually go into anthropology or was, it, was that when you went into business? Yeah, I didn't go into anthropology. I, I didn't really feel that I was that I wanted a life in academia. Oh, um, OK. I liked studying at the Columbia was a perfect place. Right. You just wanted that. to spend most of your life in school. <laughs> yeah. well, I didn't know it then. Actually, I wanted to be out of school. Um, no, at that time, I was still pursuing a, uh, music. I, I know. So I saw that you you played French horn with uh, Cecil Taylor's jazz ensemble. Yeah, and I did that in Ohio. And then when the when Cecil and the ensemble moved to New York, I did with it. I, oh. I, mean, I, was, from, I was from New York, but that's what sort of got me back. And then uh, I was going to Columbia to get a degree, but I was still playing music most of my waking hours. Wow! And um, so after I graduated, I was working first at the Village Voice, just doing production uh -huh. um, in the art production department, and then in a very small book publishing company where, I'd be, where I was the production manager. So I learned about making books. We were making photo books, but it was very different. These yeah. were about, <laughs> mostly about rock and roll people, Jim Morrison and different people like that. Hmm. So actually some excellent photographs, but a very different kind was, of Was this and, publishing house connected to the Village Voice? Was it? No. Oh, it was okay. a small small publishing house in Gramercy Park area called Delilah Books. It hmm. doesn't exist anymore. So that's that's the direction I was going. And around that time, I stopped playing music. I, I sort of didn't feel like I had the chops to play hmm. jazz. Um, if I did it all my waking hours, I didn't mm -hmm. think I would be good enough. And so then, then I was working, just working for a living as opposed to trying to support a life in music. And uh, I saw an opportunity to enter a startup in the business world. And that's what I did. And that turned into a, a, a real business career. Oh, wow. What, what kind of business was it? It was in, involved with pharmaceuticals and, you know, it's sort of complicated to go into. But it was a startup when I joined and then it became a Fortune 50 company by the time I left. So wow. it was a sort of a wild ride. I was I did that for about 17 years or so. Yeah. I retired early. That's when I, um, well, I retired early and started spending more time with my kids who were still in uh, middle school and high school. Great. And then, and then that's when I went back to Columbia, sort of not for photography, but for um, just, you know, things that I wanted to learn. Right, just, right. Oh, so what an interesting, long kind of winding road you were on. 
Uh, and then I eventually went back to the work, the business world to do another startup. Wow. And that, that lasted about th- three or four years. It was during that stint back in the corporate world that I started getting involved in photography. So when that company was sold, I sort of knew I just wanted to focus on hmm. photography. So it was there was no plan to any of this. It just <laughs> it, it just sort of unfolded. And it and worked out. <laughs> yeah, it worked. It worked out. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so now at, at this stage in your life, did you ever have have you picked up the French horn again? Do you do you just play for yourself a little bit? No, I I, I really don't. I I love music. I listen mm-hmm. to all kinds of music, but I never picked up the French one again after I, I put it down. You know, in retrospect, it seems strange, but I never really regretted the changes that, mm-hmm. you know, that I went through. No, no, I, yeah. I, I love that idea. You're, you're, you're moving forward. So do you split time between Brooklyn and Connecticut now? Yeah, we, um, about 25 years ago or so, bought a house in, in a small town called Norfolk, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. It's in the hills, the northwest corner of Connecticut. And it was a weekend house at first when I was still working. And then, you know, um, over time, I would spend more more and more time there. In fact, for the first year and a half of the pandemic, we just fled Brooklyn. And yes, left. like many, and many others. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, at the, I'm at the point where I think I'd probably prefer to spend most of my time there now. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that I, where you are now? You look like you're in a... No, a... I'm actually in Brooklyn now. We... For the first time, really, since the pandemic, we came back about two weeks ago. Okay, because um, it looks like my, a, a kind of third floor A-frame kind of studio that you're in. It's a third floor studio. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm yeah. in right now. I have the same shape. <laughs> yeah. um, no, you're right about that. No, we lo- I like it uh, here. We're, we live in Brooklyn Heights. Mm-hmm. I, do, I, I do like it, but I don't know. I seem to prefer... I, I actually prefer to, to photograph now also in Norfolk. So... We'll we'll see. I'm not sure how how things will right uh, shake out. What are you working on uh, these days? Anything that you want to talk about? Uh, I mostly photograph just what's around me. Um, so in in Norfolk, it's both the landscape, but also my grandson. Uh, my daughter and her husband and grandson moved in with us in Norfolk at the beginning of the pandemic. Oh, and right, stayed, that makes sense. Stayed for about <laughs> a year and a half. Wow. So, so my wife and I are really. Um, we were nannies full time, <laughs> which was a, a great experience. And I, Owen is my grandson's name. Mm-hmm. And he, um, he wasn't even crawling when, when they moved in with us there and now he's running around. And, and so, <laughs> you really did the, the pandemic grandparent thing. Like everybody like yeah, huddled back together yeah. and yes. Yeah. Tru- truly a, truly a gift actually. Mm-hmm. Was, you know, with all the, I felt a lot of the same anxiety that, everyone around us feels about uh, between the pandemic and the politics of the moment. Right. Um, but the opportunity to spend time with my grandson was really a gift. And it was a very different experience I felt than, than raising my kids, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, more patient, first of all, more time spent with them. I wasn't working every That's day. Right. They were, That's right. They were the focus of my attention. And so I've been um, interested in photographing, uh, my grandson and soon my granddaughter, I, um, who, who was born recently. Um, Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. And I think about, you know, the difference between just making family photos and photographing the childhood, you know, in this case, toddler. Right. <laughs> and, how, and how they see the world. And so that has been 
interesting to me. And so I've been looking at photo books of others who I think have done a great job with that, who sort of transcend, you know, sort of transcend the family photo. Eleanor Carucci. Carucci. Um, uh, Raymond Meeks. Oh, sure. Uh, Raymond Meeks. Yes. Uh, Chris, Christopher Anderson. I'm really intrigued with his books about yes. his, his yes. son and daughter. And I, you know, I don't know that what I'll do with any of that. Oh, it'll, I, it'll I be your own. It'll be your own. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's between that and just the, uh, the environment around me in, in the Norfolk area. I'm also thinking about doing another road trip back up to the North country. I, I feel like I want to do, spend a little more time there. You know, I did that work in 22 North. At that time, I wasn't doing any portraiture at all. I was doing, shooting what I would call figures in the landscape. Mm -hmm. And I really liked people in my images, but I was uncomfortable with the whole idea of doing portraits. In art school, I really focused, even before I did The Boys, I really focused on portraiture just because I knew it was something I was uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was encouraged by my teachers to do that. And to start doing that with a large roll my camera makes it made it even more difficult because right. everything is, you know, everything's just has to be so considered and and you can't waste shots. So now I would I, if I were to go back and revisit any of those areas, I think I would probably try to include some uh, portraiture as well. Oh, right. That makes sense. And, and uh, all film all the time. Actually, I've given up film. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, um, I felt um, that working with the large format, first of all, was starting to become very difficult for me, uh, carrying all that equipment. Sure. I have, yeah. I'm dealing with, you know, the usual complaints of arthritis <laughs> and that sort of thing. And so it, it had become very, very difficult to do, uh, not only to carry all the stuff and the film and the film holders and mm -hmm. the camera itself, but the amount of time on my feet became really right problematic and then um i also figured it was a good time to get away from having to scan <laughs> so <laughs> I was, uh, scanners I are to, getting a little harder to come by yes yeah i used to i used to use all my ta hours that's uh, right for, for scanning at icp and um <laughs> using their equipment and, and i'm uh, sure they had the uh, the big um flex tight oh my god why am i blanking blanking on them Imicron. The Imicron, Flextite. Right, right, right. Sounds That's a little it. bit yeah. like Omicron. But, um, <laughs> yeah, and so I would spend hours there you yeah. know, uh, scanning. I guess I've decided at this age, life is too short to spend my time scanning. <laughs> and so I, I just sold my Mamiya, and I'm going to sell my large format. And I got a, um, a medium format digital camera, and so that's what that's what I'm learning to use now. No, it makes sense. It does make a lot of sense. Well, this has been great. Thank you. Did I did I miss anything about the book? Uh, any book signings or th things coming up? No, you know the book came out at a time when nobody was doing anything in person. I so, know. Yes, uh, December of 2020 was a weird time to to bring out a book. It the um, the shipping from Europe wasn't quite as bad at that point. It was oh, a, it was a bit you it missed was a bit it. Problematic. Yeah, yeah, yep. Um, but nobody was doing anything in person. So I did uh, a Zoom book launch uh, that David Campany moderated, which was nice. Yes, very um, nice. But but nothing in person. And um, and now, you know, it's over a year old and it's old news. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I don't know that there'll be like live events. In right. The, oh, maybe Powerhouse will, will come back with something. <laughs> 
Yeah. Occasionally, so I got, there was a lot of reviews and coverage early mm-hmm. on. And now, and now, you know, of course, those tail off. Sure. And, uh, but there are some still in the works. And so that, you know, that's pretty much it. And, um, I'm, I'm moving on. So. Yep. <laughs> that's good. Well, that's the story of your life. That's the story of your memoir. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you very much. The book is fantastic. It's actually very beautifully bound. We didn't mention the embossing on it, the wraparound image, the the way the the, the pages fold out as you flip through. It's actually a real pleasure to, to go through the book. So well, thank you. And, yeah. and really, kudos go to the designer for a lot of that. Uh, there's a, I, I worked with a Dutch designer. He's known as Sib, S-Y-B. Hmm. And um, I sought him out because I like the Dutch tradition of doing complex books, mm-hmm. and, <laughs> um, mixing text and those sort of elements. And yes. um, so uh, Sib had a lot to do with the whole concept of the of the gatefolds, oh. which is not, not something I, I necessarily would have thought about. I'm sure um, that, yeah, that makes everything with book binding more complicated. <laughs> yeah, it was it, it was a complex book to produce some of the um, print. Uh, we needed to use a Dutch printer. Uh, some of the, the better fine art printers were afraid of it because those those portraits are actually tipped in to those gatefolds. Oh, okay. And so, and, and so, wow. so that's why that's why it had to be perfect bound actually and not sewn. Right. But you know. S- in the Netherlands, designers and printers and binders mm-hmm. really work collaboratively with the artist in, in a very in a very nice way. So there are great printers all, all over. You know, now that you mention that, I, I it, it just occurred to me that the the uh, the portraits are different in in many ways. They're they're different in their clarity, of course, because you made these beautiful large format portraits. But the paper stock is different. Everything stock is, is different. different. It's heavier. Yeah. 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 So each one had to be manually inserted into those gatefolds, wow. and that is a bit tricky. But they were, you know, I had no problem with the printer and binder in, right. in the Netherlands. The, Wilco Arts was the uh, printer, and I forgot the name of the binder. They're not really, a, you know, that well known mm-hmm. outside of the, the Netherlands. But I was really comfortable that they knew. Uh, how to approach a job like this. No, it's really, it's really wonderful. And just to, to end on that, the note I've been kind of going back and forth on this, this whole show is a, the, just the, the play of snapshot, 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 still portrait. I mean, it's just, it, it really, it really exercises your mind as you're looking at it, which I really loved. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. So thank you for this. Well, my pleasure. Thanks very much, Michael. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Real Photo Show with Michael Chauvin Dalton is a production of Real Photo Show, which you can listen to on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, and be sure to subscribe on any one of those services or wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs>